Well, there's something fascinating about tables. Uh, tables are, are one of these things that they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Maybe they're patio tables, uh, but some tables can just be a blanket on the ground that you sit at. Tables are important in our lives. Some of the most important conversations that I've had in my life have taken place at a table. Uh, it was a table in the cafeteria of my church camp where I discussed with my counselor what it meant to follow Jesus for the first time. Uh, I was at a table in a restaurant that I uh, talked to my father-in-law about marrying his daughter. Tables witness pretty fascinating things. We know historically, uh, or at least famously, different tables, right? King Arthur, he had a table and it was on the uh, USS Missouri, the Japanese foreign minister signed a piece of paper upon a table that ended World War II. Tables are important. There's something special about tables. They break down barriers, social barriers between different people. It puts people on the same level and conversations take place. Interestingly, in the book of Luke, Jesus five times sits down and has a meal with people. And in the course of those meals, we see that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and what it means to follow him. So over the course of the next month, I, what I want us to do is, is to look at these conversations that Jesus had taken place at a table and see if there isn't something that we can learn from it. The first conversation we're going to look at takes place in Luke chapter 9. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up with me. Uh, this will be verses 10 through 17. To kind of set our background to what is going to take place here, uh, Luke chapter 9 takes place about a year, year and a half into the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus has been doing a number of different things. He's been teaching, he's been healing, and the crowds have swarmed to him. Uh, he is a celebrity in many ways in this ancient world at this time. Uh, Jesus can basically go into a town and people will come there to the point that wherever he's staying is so surrounded that the sick can't even get to Jesus. Well, in the midst of this celebrity status that he is experiencing, Jesus takes his 12 disciples and he sends them off. He sends them in pairs of two to go and to promote the kingdom message. They're to go to these towns, and if the towns are willing to listen, they're to preach to them and to heal in their towns. But if the towns are unwilling to listen, Jesus says, don't waste your time with them. The time is short. The message needs to be preached. And so the disciples go off, and what we read at the beginning of chapter 9 is that they are very successful. Lives are changed because of what they do. At the same time, while this is taking place, we read that John the Baptist is beheaded by King Herod. Herod had some difficulties in his life. He was doing some sinful things that were not right according to the Old Testament. And John had no problems preaching against this king. And so as John preached against the sins of King Herod, Herod has John arrested. One thing leads to another, and eventually John is beheaded. 
So here is Jesus with mixed emotions. On the one hand, he has this excitement and happiness that what his disciples have learned from him has been successful. And he's glad at the success that they have had in their ministry. But on the other hand, you have this grief. We don't know how close John and Jesus were. They were born about six months apart. And I don't know about you, but my children, they have two little cousins about their age, and every night they pray for these two cousins. And so I can kind of picture John and Jesus being fairly close with each other. Maybe they prayed for each other. We do know for a fact that uh, John is the one that baptizes Jesus. John is the one that prepares the hearts of the Israelites to hear the message that Jesus has to teach them. So I can imagine the grief and the sorrow that is going through Jesus at this time. And as all these things are coming together, we read this starting in verse 10. When the apostles returned... They reported to Jesus what they had done. And then he took him with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Jesus is in this moment where the crowds are following him everywhere. And in the midst of this popularity, Jesus decides to just take everything and leave, to get away. To have space. Something I think we can learn very easily just from this verse alone is that no matter how popular you are, no matter how successful your ministry is, no matter how well things are going in life, there is times that we need to just get away. To turn off our cell phones. To get away from our technology. To get away from people and to have peace and quiet. Jesus does this throughout his ministry. Here he is teaching his disciples that even though they have had success in their ministry, they need to figure out what is next by going to God. Now, I don't know what Jesus was planning to do with his disciples because honestly, he doesn't get a chance. See, while Jesus is trying to leave, and had I been in the crowd, I would have been like, oh, Jesus is leaving. Okay, catch him later. The crowd at this time, however, sees Jesus leave, get in a boat, cross the lake, and they're like, huh, I wonder where he's going. And they chase after Jesus. In verse 11, we read, that the crowds learned about Jesus getting in the boat and going away, and they followed him. And when he got there, he welcomed them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Uh, We read the same story in the book of Mark, and Mark says as Jesus steps out of the boat, he sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. 
See, see, here's what's kind of happened, right? There, there's these guys who are watching Jesus get in the boat, and they kind of figure out where he's going to be based off the direction he's heading. And they begin to run around this lake. And if you're in a boat going from point A to point B, it's a straight line. It's pretty quick to get there. Then these people are going all the way around, which means that they're running at full sprint to get there before Jesus gets there. We're told that 5,000 men, not including the women and children, so easily 15,000 people are coming to this place that Jesus is trying to go to be by himself. And there's some that are faster than others, so they're there waiting for Jesus, but the rest of the people are trickling in. And can you imagine 15,000 people on the road to where Jesus is going to be? And though Jesus was trying to meet a need in his life, he set it aside for a moment to meet the needs of these people. He begins to minister to them. There's times in our lives where there is something that we know we need but we really can't put words to it. See, the disciples, they had a need that they weren't even really aware of. They're coming down from this high of doing ministry and having great success, and Jesus says, yes, things are going well for you. Let's get away. We need to relax. We need to refresh so that when the next season of ministry comes, we are ready. The disciples didn't even know that they had this need, but Jesus did. The crowds, they didn't know what they needed. You know, they just knew they needed Jesus for whatever reason. And so they left everything behind to follow where Jesus is going, not even knowing that that's, Jesus is going to land there, right? I mean, if I were Jesus looking at this huge crowd of people, I'd be like, okay, let's go back across. But Jesus, we're told in Mark, looks at the people, and he sees sheep without a shepherd. These people, these crowds, they were lost. And they didn't even know what they truly needed in their lives. Have you ever had a problem that you tried to fix, but you didn't even know what you were fixing? My wife, this summer, bent our mower blade. Uh, our yard, uh, if you've never been there, it was full of like rocks and cement and all this, this junk. And so we spent a whole summer taking all this stuff out and all the weeds that had overgrown. Uh, and we put dirt down and we planted some grass this last summer and it started to grow to where we needed to mow. And so we were mowing, but even though we've done all this work, there's still these stumps from these weeds that had overgrown so much. And you have to, as you mow, kind of avoid them. Well, one day my wife didn't avoid them so well. And it bent the blade to the point that we couldn't even start it because it was so badly bent. So I went and I bought a blade to replace it, find out that not all blades are made equal, so I had to go buy another one. 
And as I start to try to get this bolt off this mower so I could put this new blade on, I ended up breaking uh, the ratchet set I had. And what come to find out that, that to really get that off, you have to have an impact drill because they're so on there so tight. I had a problem that I was trying to fix without really knowing what I was doing. Many times in life, we go about having problems that we really don't even know what we're doing. We know there's a need, but we can't even put words to what those needs are. The disciples, they had a need to rest and relax, but they didn't know it until Jesus told them. The crowds, they didn't know what they needed. They only knew that they needed Jesus and they were going to follow him wherever he went. Sometimes there are needs that we don't even know. When Jesus begins to minister to the people, he uh, teaches them about the kingdom of God. He uh, begins to heal those who needed healing. And this happens throughout the day until we get uh, to verse 12. And in verse 12, we read that late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to Jesus and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. It's one of those things that as you begin to work on something that needs fixing in your life, you end up finding out that there's something else that needs fixing. A lot of times it's because we've focused so much over here that this thing that we've neglected now needs attention. And it's a constant cycle to deal with the needs that take place in our lives. Well, the disciples, as Jesus is here, doing and fixing the needs of the crowds, realize that there is another problem. And now the problem is a problem of food. You know, they've skipped breakfast, they've worked through lunch, and now it's getting to late afternoon, it's time to eat, and they are feeling it. The only problem is, is they're kind of in this place where there's nobody around, except for these 15,000 people on this plane in the middle of nowhere. There's no food vendors ready to sell their wares. And so they come to Jesus with a solution. They say, Jesus, send the people away so they can go find their own food. And Jesus looks at his disciples in verse 13 and he says, no, you feed them. See, they, they understood, and this is something we have to understand, sometimes we can recognize what our needs are, and we can put words to it. Sometimes we don't know what those needs are, and we can't figure it out, but sometimes we do know, and we can put words to it. The problem here is that people needed food. And Jesus tells his disciples, fix it. Sometimes we see needs in people's lives, and we have the resources to do it. And Jesus is telling us, fix it. The disciples, they just got back from this great and awesome ministry where they were ministering to the people, telling about the kingdom, spreading the gospel message, performing miracles. And now that they're with Jesus, they want to just... Forget everything they've learned. 
Too many times in our lives we see needs in other people's lives and we look at them and we go to somebody else and we say, why don't you fix this problem rather than doing it ourselves? Sometimes we can fix the problem. But sometimes I think Jesus tells us to fix it so that we can know that we can't do it. The disciples in the second part of verse 13 say this. We say, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless, of course, we go and buy food, but we don't know where that's going to be. Mark tells us that it would be about a half a year's wages to buy enough food for all these people. John tells us that's not even their food. This five bread, loaves of bread and these two fish, it doesn't even belong to the disciples. It belongs to a little boy that they found. The bread, it was probably a four-inch diameter piece of bread. We would call it a cracker. And he has five of, or four, yeah, five of these. And then the fish was more like a pickled relish type thing. It was the closest thing that we have are like canned sardines. So these aren't enough to feed even a small boy. Maybe a good snack for him, but certainly not enough to feed 15,000 people. See, there are times in our lives where we do know what the problem is, but either we don't know how to fix it or we don't have the resources to fix it. Whatever problem it is that you need, maybe you're in this situation where you can put words to it, but you don't know what to do. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe, maybe you're literally just a couple of weeks away from filing divorce because you're just fed up with everything that is going on. And you don't know what to do to fix it. Maybe it's your kids. And they're driving you nuts. And they're bouncing off the walls and you're trying everything you're to do to keep your family together and you're trying and you're trying and nothing seems to be working you know what the problem is but you don't know what to do to fix it maybe for you it's your job and maybe the manager doesn't really like you or maybe things just maybe they're about to close where you're at because business has not been very good and you don't know if you're going to have a place to work next week you know what the problem is, but you don't know what to do. Maybe for you it's finances, and you don't know how you're going to pay your rent next month, or you don't know where a meal is coming next week. You don't know what to do. You know what the problem is, but you don't know how to fix the problem. There's a lot of th times in our lives where we know what the problem is and we can put words to it and we can, we can address it, but we don't know what to do or we don't have the resources to fix it. It's where the disciples are. They know what the problem is. The people are hungry, they need food, and they know what they need to do. They need to feed these people, but they don't know how to do that and they don't have the resources to do it. But Jesus is there. 
And in verse 14, we read that Jesus takes what the disciples has and he tells them to sit, have the people sit down in groups of 50. He t- then he goes and, and the disciples do all this. And in verse 16, he takes the bread and he takes the fish and he looks up to heaven and he gives thanks to them and breaks them. And he gives it to the disciples to distribute to the people. Jesus takes this meager meal the disciples had. This is something that was barely enough to feed this young boy. And he gives thanks to God. The blessing that Jesus gives, it was a typical blessing that, that would have happened in this time period. This looking to heaven and thanking God for what he has given them. None of the, none of the gospel writers tells us how this happened. How does these five loaves, these five crackers, and these two fish, how did they feed 15,000 people? We don't know how it happens, but we do know that Jesus does it. And Jesus takes what the disciples had, and he fills in the gap for them. This is who our God is. Our God wants to use us to do great things for him. And many times he wants us to, to use us even when we can't do it ourselves. God did it with Moses. As God calls Moses to go to the Pharaoh and to tell him to let my people go, Moses looks at God and says, I can't do that. I don't speak too good. And God took Moses, who could not speak well, and he uses him to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. God filled in the gap where Moses came up short. God uses Peter, this man from a backwater town, from a backwater country. This man that had no education and no money. And God takes him and uses him to preach the message of salvation on Pentecost. To preach the message of salvation to the Gentiles. To open the door for all to come in. This man who messed up over and over and over again, God took him and filled in the gap. And if we will allow God to do it in our lives, he will sit there and he will fill in these gaps where we fall short. In your marriage, God can fill in the gaps where you cannot. If you will do what you are called to do, if you'll love your wife, as Christ loves the church, if you'll submit to your husband, if you'll do these things that he's called you to do, and to do the things that only you are able to do, then God will take care of the rest. And he'll do what only he can do. At your jobs, if you will work at it with all that you are, as if you are working for Christ and not for somebody else, God will fill in the gaps. With your finances, if you will give to God first, if you will allow him to use your money how he wants it to, do, to be used, God will fill in the gaps. You may never have an abundance, 
that you'll be taken care of. With your kids, if you will do what you can do, if you will show them Jesus by the way that you live, if you will discipline them how God has called you to discipline them, then those places that you are unable to control, God will take care of it. Our God wants to stand in the gap for you. He wants to take your meager offering and make it do wondrous and miraculous things. He wants to stand in that gap no matter what situation in life you find yourself in. Luke ends this story by saying this in verse 17. He says, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The important thing is there is that the people were satisfied. No, this wasn't just some meal to hold them over until they could get to the closest town and find something better. This is a satisfying meal. It's like what we're going to have tonight, right? You're going to get there and you're going to have your plate and you're going to put turkey and and stuffing and mashed potatoes and you're going to pour the gravy all over it and it's going to be wonderful. And after you've eaten it, you're going to sit back be satisfied. Jesus satisfies our needs. Jesus satisfies our needs whether we know what those needs are or whether we can put words and we don't know what to do next. Jesus can satisfy those needs. And he will satisfy those needs beyond anything that we can imagine. I don't think that the disciples were prepared for what Jesus was about to do. See, they knew what the problem was and they knew what the solution was. Send them away. But Jesus wasn't just satisfied feeding the people spiritually. He was worried about them physically as well. And Jesus satisfied their needs. John tells the same story, and afterwards Jesus has a conversation with the people, and he tells them this in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And Jesus isn't talking about the physical hunger or the physical thirst. Jesus is talking about the thing that we need the most. Jesus is all we need. And he will satisfy our needs if we would just turn our eyes on him and seek him out. When we don't know what to do next, when we don't even know what the need is, if we turn to Jesus, he will satisfy it beyond anything that we can imagine. 